everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Vodka Clock Podcast. I am so excited today for um, to introduce you to our guest. You might know her already. Um, it is author V. Castro. And um, just a quick shout out. Thank you to the Patreon sponsors. You guys keep this going. So thank you so much. Um, and if you don't know how to get there, go to patreon.com slash amberunmasked. And you can also see all of my other blog information at amberunmasked.com. So V. Castro, we are here um, to chat about all kinds of stuff, but particularly since we are in prime spooky season, um, (laughs) we're going to talk about (laughs) The Haunting of Alejandra, um, your book. So I'm so grateful that you could be here. I will probably need help pronouncing things. (laughs) Don't worry, not a problem. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, great. Um, So uh, just a little introduction, you were born in Texas, Mm -hmm. and now you're over in the UK. (laughs) That is right. Uh, My life has taken a journey that I didn't expect, but I know, you know, that's that's life. A lot of people have that. Um, So yeah, born and raised Texas, and moved here about 16 years ago. So, and I've been in the UK ever since. Oh, wow. That sounds exciting. Um, it's a cool place. Yeah. It is a cool place. But, you know, it, it's, when you go home, it's, it's, it's still home. All my extended families there and a lot of things that I write about are inspired by my home and my culture. So, yeah, it's a place I always go back to. Yeah, I imagine uh, the UK must seem pretty far from Mexico, as opposed to San Antonio being... Yes, and and most people do not even think that I'm, you know, Mexican-American or Latina. Um, A lot of people think I'm Asian, but that's okay. You know, it's... Mm -hmm. Hey, (laughs) I don't mind, um, as long as they're nice. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But yeah, it, it is... It's... It's, it is a long way, but, uh, you know, it has its benefits. I mean, there's so many cool places in the UK, historical places and haunted, spooky places that it's been pretty fun to explore all these years. Yeah, I know, because like things that we consider old here because of colonization, <clears throat> we think of like, oh, you know, like the last 200, 250 years, you know, and yet when I've been to England, it was like, yeah, well, you know, these castles are from, you know, like 700 years ago. <laughs> yeah. And here's a Roman wall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Here's where we found a Viking horde. <laughs> here's where the pagans erected these large stones. <laughs> I know. I have been people. Yeah, I have. I have been there and it's fascinating. And um and there are henges all over the place. There are but, burial mounds. I yeah. know the, all these, you know, Neolithic people and it's crazy. Yeah. Um, so it's my understanding that uh, you have been writing since you were a kid. So um, was that encouraged um, uh, in school or by your family? You know, it was the kind of thing that I, you know, I was so young it's a kind of thing, like, of course, I was encouraged by my mom to write and, or to read. And I was a bookworm. I was in the library a lot. I loved English and history. Um, but writing was almost like, oh, you know, kind of the, a child just having fun and writing stories. And that's what it was. 
I mean, I didn't seriously start writing until my 30s, my late 30s. Um, so I, it was a kind of thing that I never, again, I didn't expect my life would take this turn. And I'm so grateful that it that I did and grateful that I had the courage to pursue it. Um, but yeah, as a child, it was just kind of the thing that interested me, but I didn't take seriously or give it a second thought until my late 30s. I can remember being um, in grammar school, probably around like, you know, what we have seventh grade or so, and getting really interested in Greek mythology, mm-hmm. um, because that's what we were being taught, um, you know, and we sort of tapped into like how the Roman mythology like had its all its same exact things, but different names. So I, I, I'm up here in New Jersey, so it's probably, I'm sure, completely different than Texas. So what sort of things in history or in school inspired you as a kid? Well, so, you know, all the folklore of San Antonio. And by the way, I went to school in Philadelphia, so I know Oh, okay. Shout out, New Jersey. Shout out, (laughs) Shore. No, so, uh, you know, there's loads of urban legends and lots of folklore where I'm from. And there are the missions where the Spanish priests came and they to convert and they had their churches um, because Texas was once part of Mexico and then it became part of the United States. Um, and so you have all that history. And um, also, you know, you have the Native American history there. The Native yeah. Americans that occupied that space. Um, so there's a lot of tales and my mom, you know, La Llorona was a big one, La Lechusa. All of these things you're told as a kid that are just kind of old wives' tales. And it's just, I think it comes from the history, the oral tradition of storytelling, which I love. I love that type of, of storytelling because it's organic. It's, it's um, there's a passion to it. There is, I think it adds to the kind of mysticism and, I love that, especially if you're telling a ghost story or about a creature. Um, if it's something that isn't written, it's just handed down. It adds to the mystery. And so, you know, I just had, I can't even, t- there were just things that I was told, you know, there, where do they come from? You know, who came up with it? Nobody knows. You just right. know that it exists and it happened. Yeah. Um, I love that. It's like the Jersey Devil. The Jersey <laughs> Devil, yeah. And if you start looking at research of that, it comes across um, a lot like the Salem Witch Trials, where um, it supposedly didn't have anything to do with a woman and all her children, that it had to do with you know, who owned the newspaper and who was considered powerful in the town and, and things like that. And, you know you might read that and go, yeah, but this story of the 13th child um, seems way more interesting than people (laughs) arguing over politics. Um, But I, as a kid, I mean, I'm scared very easily now. I even wrote that in in my review of of The Haunting of Alejandra, but I did not have to put this book in the freezer. I was able to read it. (laughs) That's a wonderful 
Thank that's you. a joke from from the Friends TV show. From Friends, Joey gets scared of books and he puts them in the freezer. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I I was just completely taken in by this book. It's uh, it is a story involving La Llorona, and as you even say in the book, of you you have her telling her daughter about this you know this myth and that every culture really has their own version and it's so true because i remember hearing about the woman in white and different versions of it and there's been different movies um supernatural tv show um and to me i didn't think of of the woman in white as something I mean I figured you'd be scared if you you know you're driving your car and you see this woman but I I didn't think of her as a malevolent being yeah and and but that's just one version Mm -hmm. so you have taken it and completely twisted it and made it this unique unbelievably unique version um (laughs) um I even let's see I even have have a quote here um where um the southern review of books called it a feminist folklore remedy I'm not kidding because you know a lot of these old stories the women are just um you know the catalyst for a man to go do something this is very different. I even said that it takes horror to an intersectional feminist level in a way that was unexpected. And um, and because of that, you have these, these generations of women that all have the same bloodline. So you each, you know, so these chapters bring you to different time periods. And it's, it was really interesting. How did you plan that out? You know, so I, when the idea first came to me, I was going through a massive emotional and mental change. I experienced that. I experienced, you know, I had my third baby and while I was pregnant and after I had hers, I knew something wasn't right, something inside of me and I needed help. And, um, you know, I just started writing. Writing had been my therapy. Writing had been a way that I had been able to almost exercise myself. And then COVID hit and I had, and I had loads of time during the lockdowns to finish it. And I, it just flew out of me, just like the other books just kind of flew out of me. And I'm so grateful for that. But I had so much to say, you know, a lifetime worth of things. And there's kind of a benefit to starting later in life. So anyone who thinks, oh, I'm too old, I'll miss the boat, or no, you are not too old. In fact, sometimes those life experiences and that time that has passed, that is what's going to really take you where you need to be because you need those, you need certain pieces of wisdom and knowledge and, and you need little nuggets of inspiration that you've gathered along the way that you may at the time didn't know why but it slots into place and I think that's what happened with La Llorona you know I had my children I was in these relationships and I found myself stuck and I didn't know why 
And, you know, once I decided to make that change, I had this like massive kind of existential crisis slash spiritual awakening. It just kind of flew out of me. That seems to be what um, what your main character goes through. She's yeah. She feels very trapped in a marriage and she feels very fake and not authentic. Um, she feels like she can't be herself. Yeah. And then she meets um, a therapist. Yes. Who actually, you know, which is very important, who actually benefits her because you could go through you know, different doctors and therapists and stuff until you find the right one. But this is someone who who knew her and knew her culture and didn't think that she just needed to be handed a bunch of Xanax. You know, she yeah. took this idea of like postpartum depression and and treated it, you know, treated her as a person. Yes. And so, that was, yeah, that was so important for me because, you know, I, you know, look, if you're an atheist, no shade, but yeah. sometimes I do feel there is, even if you don't believe in a soul or you don't believe in God, you don't believe in anything, there are parts of us that can't be fixed chemically, that can't be fixed. Um, and look, I'm not a doctor or something. Of course, yes, there are. You have to seek medical help if you have a real right. medical issue, but there can also be a spiritual component, an emotional component is, I guess, what I'm trying to say, an emotional component that sometimes needs to be addressed that medication can't always address when it comes to um, being in a bad relationship or not being able to feel safe in a relationship or feel comfortable in your own skin. Um, yeah. Sometimes you have to ask these hard questions and yes, by all means, I am not against medication at all, but for this story, I wanted it to look a little different. Um, and that's kind of, and that was the journey I wanted to show, a spiritual journey, a supernatural journey, because it is a horror book. It is a supernatural book. Um, and that was, that was the tale I wanted to tell. I think it's important that, you know, like, as you just described, you, you're taking everything as this holistic, you know, whole with a W, like, yeah, you know, yes, take your, your spirituality, your faith, whatever, take, you know, your Western medicine, take Eastern, you know, if yeah. you find an Eastern philosophy that works, awesome, you know, do your meditation, whatever yeah. it's going to take, it's, it's work. Mm. And I mean, Alejandra does more than just uh, journaling <laughs> to get through her ordeal. Yeah. She, um, you know, there's this entity that's been following her because it's been following the generations before her. I'm going to try to not spoil anything <laughs> um, because it's it, it's just an unbelievable connection. And you, you know, to hear these stories of her ancestors as well especially like last night I I sat and I reread the part about Floor <laughs> and I was just like oh I forgot what a badass she is yeah <laughs> I did I wanted to show you know because it is about generational trauma and generational curses which you know we all experience whether you you know whatever culture you come from 
there are certain things that are passed down that they, that, that, you know, you talk to your aunties, your cousins, your mom, your grandma about, or even on your dad's side, possibly, um, you know, we often don't talk about, you know, men's mental health, um, Correct. which is also important, but I wanted to talk about women's mental health, especially in the context of motherhood and, and how motherhood and relationships and identity have changed a- across the time, but how some things have not changed. And that can be, you know, the case you know, for some people. And because I do believe in generational trauma and curses, um, although I use the curse in the literal sense right, <laughs> in, right, in right. this story, um, because again, you know, I want to entertain and keep you captivated and scare you a bit because <laughs> we are coming we to spooky season. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, that's, I liked Floor and I liked exploring different characters from different times. Uh, to see how to see the evolution really of a family when you wrote this um and you mentioned it was like you know after your children and then the pandemic hit so everything that was going on in the world um were you already in the UK yeah I was yeah yeah yeah. I was in the UK and kind of lived outside a bit in the suburbs. So I was very lucky, you know, I had a big garden, I could walk in and I was confined, really. Because I know, I mean, over here, we were going through all the Trumpism. Mm -hmm. And um, so in the UK, they were going through all the Brexit. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Did did any of the world events uh, start to impact you? in the, in the writing and the story and, and change because of that? Or was this like very contained to um, the legends and the things you've been through? This was contained to this particular story uh, because I, I was quite isolated during that time. And I was quite in this bubble of self-healing needing to get better. And this was just an opportunity, this was the opportunity to do it. And, you know, I, I, and at that point in time, I also stopped reading the news and doing all because it just got to be, it's too much. It was too much. Yeah. And we had a lot of lockdowns here and it was really tough. And, you know, the kids at home and the uncertainty, I went two years without seeing my family. It was hard. And, um, you know, I took a trip right after I finished the book and I took a trip to New York. And even though we weren't, you know, people from the UK weren't allowed to travel, no one could travel to the US, I could because I started a passport. I went to New York and visited my sister and it was just like opening a new new chapter because I'd finished this book, sent it off to find an agent and... You know, it was like this veil had lifted, a veil had lifted from my heart, from the world, kind of, from all of these things. I had an agent, and this book got me an agent, and then it was sold quite quickly. So it was as if I had to be in this cocoon for a little bit. It was really a true transformation, and sometimes you have to isolate yourself. And you have to go in deep 
as painful as it is to become what you're meant to be or the person you want to be. And And this, there is so much, um, you know, not only tragedy, but the trauma that these characters go through. Mm -hmm. So I can imagine that there's a catharsis in writing them. Absolutely. It was so wonderful to write this, just like all the other books I wrote were wonderful to write. Um, And you get to a point when you finish something like, wow, that that was a part of me. And I look back at some parts and I think, I don't even remember writing that. Where did that come from? Who, what ancestor was channeling that to me? What spirit guide? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, I, I look back and I'm just so grateful that, I, you know, I could be used to write these things and it come out of me the way it did so easily. But publishing is a different thing. <laughs> publishing and writing are two different things. I always tell people that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I, I'm grateful that, um, that you got agented and, and it got out there. Um, is what, what is it? Del Rey who wrote? Yeah. Del Rey. Yes. Okay. Um, so, uh, if that hadn't happened, did you have a plan B for the, for the book? Um, I would have kept going. No, once I get something in my mind, I was like, I'm going to get an agent. I will, I will have an agent. I will get this published. I will accomplish these things. And it was so strong inside of me that I just pursued it relentlessly. And I had already published other things. So, and I had, you know, readership already. So I was really great. So I knew I could do it. I knew I was capable, but I felt it was just a matter of time. And of course I had those dark moments where I doubted and I was impatient and I still get impatient. (laughs) No, ask anybody who writes. Yeah. (laughs) Publishing is slow. It is. Um, But yeah, I'm glad it, it eventually, it just kind of all, again, moments that you don't always see come back around and you think, Oh, okay. Now I know know, I wrote that book and that was going to, that was the one. So before writing um, and before children, (laughs) what, what was it that, you know, that you thought you wanted to be when you grew up? You know, I, (laughs) I had always been like, I don't know. I did not know because I didn't know myself well enough. I was just kind of going through the motions of I need to finish high school. I need to go to college. I need to get good grades. I need to get health insurance with a good job and make a salary so I can pay said student loans. And then I need to meet someone. And then I need to buy a house and I have to have a car and I need to open that ISA. And it was just a laundry list of things I was meant to do because that's what you do. And you mm-hmm. sometimes you don't question that you need, you know, I thought I needed to be this model of success um, uh, based on what I had seen before. And well, how much was- of that 
How much of that pressure on yourself is because you're a woman of color? Do you um, think that you there was I, more? I, I think it's it's uh, being a woman in general, but being a woman of color, feeling like I have to be better than others. I have to work harder. I have to not be perceived as X, Y, and Z. Um, all these stereotypes, and um, I need to be smart. Uh, I need to be accomplished, but I know I'm going to have to work harder for those things. Um, but also most of it was just being female and saying like, oh yeah, I have to, this is, I have something to prove. Um, when it really, I think we should be telling everyone in general, but females, no, you don't have anything to prove. Your priority is to know yourself, to find yourself. And that is how you can really reach your joy and your bliss and change things, change the world, being your authentic self. With Alejandra, she's on this same quest once she meets her therapist mm-hmm. um, to, to find out who she is. And a big part of that is because she was adopted by white people mm-hmm. who were very evangelical yeah. Christian. So um, I can imagine in Texas, it's loaded with that. Um. Yes, and I went to many uh, evangelical churches. It was not for me. That is why I am a witch. <laughs> yes. I am a bruja. <laughs> good, good. We're in like minds here. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, not only was there, you know, these, these other self-discovery things, uh, that Alejandra's going through, but because there was this chunk of her, you know, this bloodline curse, she didn't even know her own mother. Mm -hmm. So this becomes a big, huge part of the story. And, and thankfully it was a situation where her mother, Kathy, doesn't just, say no I gave you up for reasons I don't want anything to do with you instead her story is actually all about I I had to give you up it's love and it's kind of like um if you're a fan of Wonder Woman they even though she's this this warrior um what it comes down to is she does the things that she does out of love Mm. you know love for people for humanity um just trying to save as many people as she can Mm. and and so that's when when we get to know Alejandra's mother and her story it's like uh, yeah it's like sometimes you have to make the greatest sacrifice and hope somebody understands absolutely and that's based on because um my mom didn't know her mother. My mother, that part is real. Um, my mom's mother, my grandmother, left my mom and her siblings, five of them, uh, when one was a toddler. And she, no, they could never find her again. And they still can't. And she's probably passed by now. And so I wanted there to be a mystery around it and kind of talk about that. And, um, and that was 
traumatic, I think, for my mom. And so, and then I wanted to kind of show that process and then the giving up the child as well, because you're right, it's an act of love and self-love because she knew she was not capable. And she experienced that trauma of being abandoned and how that wound remained and how I also show with her mother who abandoned her, how, you know, open wounds when left untreated, they will just bleed and bleed and bleed until the person bleeds out. And we act sometimes within, from, I should say, from a wounded space. And when you act from a wounded space, you know, you end up hurting people and yourself in the process. But you're so blinded and, and, and in that moment of pain, you're not always thinking straight. That's what I wanted to show with that, those generations. Same with the, the ancestor where it all started. She was in so much turmoil and pain and grief yeah. from what was happening in her to her society and her love for her daughter that she wanted to see live through the chaos of colonization that she made this deal. Yeah. She was like, I love my daughter. Please take, don't make sure she's safe. I'll give you, you know, it's. And then in that, when you give your trust away, if it doesn't work out, it's, you know, you all the guilt and just self-hate and shame, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like, it's not always going to be like, the happy ending you yeah it doesn't always exactly and sometimes we have to fight for our happy ending we say this is the happy ending I want this is what I envision but we have to sometimes fight for it we have to get bloody ourselves you know and and fist fight our way to that place and to me that's when the hard work and the growth comes in yeah these um you know, the, the curse the the, you know, we're talking about supernatural, but, um, in the, the real world, we have things like the generational wealth and then generational poverty and trauma. And for some reason, people, and I just mean people as a whole, accept generational wealth, but they don't understand generational poverty and the trauma that comes with that. So when you see um, kids that start becoming criminals very young and you don't understand why that is, it's like, well, I mean, you're literally talking about survival. Yes. Um, Absolutely. You know, and, and with how much of Alejandra's the the haunting of Alejandra, the whole story is about motherhood and birth and things women, um, you know, specifically um, cis women, but also trans men, you know, things people go through with their bodies, just their, their physical bodies. It's the, you know, there's a scene where she's, you know, she's in the bathroom and she's having this pain, the overwhelming pain. And I could just feel it. <laughs> I was just like, Oh, yeah. I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> I think, and, you, yeah. 
And you do sometimes think that there's like a creature that's coming out of you. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's got to be. This is got to, you know, this has got to be some evil, some demon that's coming out of me. <laughs> um, and, and trying to, I know it's a typical thing that, you know, comedians would say, they'd be like, if men went through this, there'd be, you know, yeah, there'd, there'd be solutions already. <laughs> and it's true. Like, you know, the male birth control pill, it was like, oh, it made them emotional. They didn't, mm-hmm. they didn't, you know, it's like, <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> oh, it just, it cracks me up the, um, the dichotomies and, and things that we go through. Um, Absolutely. And then to, you know, to include characters outside the binary, it's always existed. Yeah. You know, um, I don't know that much about Mexican history to know um, because they all had their own little tribal cultures as well. Um, But I'm sure they had other genders just like. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, again, I, I always try to make my books you know, inclusive and as much as possible without telling a story for someone, you know. Um, But yeah, just, you know, in your circle of friends or in your, you know, your local grocery store, you know, your town, there are people, there are many different types of people. So yeah, you know, I wanted to, and back in the day as well, it's like, you know, trans men and women have always existed. Yeah. Yeah. And that character, you know, the Colonel was very important because historically he existed. And for me, it's, it's a beautiful story because he was decorated. He lived until he was 98 or 93. Anyways, he lived very old, retired, and had a good life. He could be himself. Yeah. Good to see that. It's I'm, a good story. And I would I, say, I need someone to write that, that his story. That would be a great book, like the, his adventures and journey. Um, yeah, it would. Um, I read a lot of comics and I feel like that's something that could translate into comics pretty well. Too. Yeah, yeah. I love comics too. <laughs> oh, good. Good. Um, there was a quote that, um, at one point the villain, I'm just going to refer to, to this evilness as the villain at a clim- climactic moment says, Humans have no power except the power to destroy themselves and all they love. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt that because, I mean, other, other villains say that, like, you know, in the Marvel universe, Thanos says it. He's like, you know, he's like, half of you need to go. Snaps his fingers, uh-huh. half, the, half the creatures are, are gone. And then the planet is, al- is allowed to like rewild itself and become healthy again. And then we go through this pandemic and millions and millions and millions of people die. And there seemed to be such callousness, like, you know, someone who refused to wear a mask because they just felt God would protect them or something. And it's like, hey, you know, hey, I'm great. I'm glad you believe that. But for the rest, of, could you be some compassionate mm-hmm. a little yeah exactly you know. <laughs> like can you not cough in my direct can you just stay home and yes. not cough if you're not feeling unwell yeah no yeah. it's my right to cough on you 
yes. It's just. I no. Yeah. I was just at a convention and so like maybe 10 out of thousands of us were wearing masks and that's fine, you know, but the coughing, I'm like, there's a lady right behind me. And she's just kept coughing. Standing. Still, I'm just yeah. like plane. Yeah. Cool. The plane was, I'm like, Oh God. You know, <laughs> I just kept, I'm like, look, I'm, I'm not like an extreme germaphobe, but I, but I just, my shoulders would immediately tense. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, you know, an Adrian Monk moment of. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I haven't seen that show in ages. <laughs> um, I don't know how Monk would have survived a pandemic. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do think there's, there's this mix of people because we see, you know, people like Putin and, and his, you know, loyal followers where, um, that just, if their, their enemies just happen to die mysteriously, you know, just oh, happen very, mysterious. <laughs> exactly. very mysterious deaths. Oh my goodness. But you have these people that, that are just filled with so much hate. And then, you, you know, you have people that are on the opposite side, the Wonder Woman side that are like, Oh, I wouldn't have to kick your ass if you just understood what love is. <laughs> yeah. Or people who, you know, the the doctors and nurses who died absolutely all started you know that still showed up when they could and then you have other people who just don't care and yeah that's that capacity of not caring of have having zero awareness of others that is so destructive and when you have a collective where you have more people fit in that mindset versus the compassion, the kindness, the self-awareness, you know, things get imbalanced really fast and not in a good way. You know, yeah. you know, we have to realize we are not, we are not living in a vacuum. We're not living in our own little bubbles. Um, the way we affect other people and our actions, our choices, they do matter. Yeah, I was... I was uh, in one of the presentations, well, a few of the presentations were about psychology at CrimeCon, and um, the advice kept coming down to uh, try to catch it early. If you see disturbing signs, you know, from an early age, then that makes the difference between whether your child grows up to be you know, a, a competent leader versus a psychopath spree killer. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and it, it's obviously that those aren't the only options. Um, someone could end up being perfectly average, you know, but it was very interesting to hear these experts. Um, you know, Ann Burgess was one of the first profilers at the FBI when they started the idea of profiling, like they came, that wasn't even a word they came up with, you know, that, that word. I watched Mindhunter. Uh, <laughs> Mindhunter. Well, yeah. she's, yeah. So Wendy Carr is, is inspired by Ann Burgess and um, yeah, there were originally just in the basement of the FBI. There was only like three of them. Yeah. Two, two originally and then three trying to get all this work done and convince people about psychology and what turns somebody evil, 
Oh my God. I would love to be in that. That would, I love that stuff. I love it. It was amazing. Well, next year is going to be in Nashville. Hopefully maybe you can make (gasps) it. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, there is a crime con UK, by the way. Um, so I, you know, sometimes have, since I openly talk about depression and stuff, sometimes I, I only see that darkness that, you know, the world's ending, the planet's on fire, the waters are boiling, people are getting murdered and people are dying and nobody cares. And it's so hard to come to a, a balanced place with that and hey I fully admit I'm like I use western medicine I use you know Indian, Indian Asian whatever I can get yeah um I do my yoga I do my meditation every day and you know but I have absolute I will not sleep unless I <laughs> take something to knock me out mm-hmm. you know I, I see friends going through it too they're just like it's been two days and I haven't slept and that drives, it literally drives you to further madness because yeah. sleep is so important. Absolutely. For all areas of wellness. And it's, I'm just so glad that these things can be talked openly now that there's, you know, that there's such a thing as postpartum depression yeah. and that it's being recognized for men too. I've seen fathers go through this where they're like, my wife just had our baby and I feel nothing. Mm. And it's finally being recognized. I, I just, it's interesting because I think when we come to the root of horror stories, I think that's what they are. It's just, uh, you know, real events or exaggerated events of stuff we really go through. Yeah. Horror can be a flashlight. Horror right, can be a it. flashlight. And I, you know, I wrote The Queen of Cicadas and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's dark, it's tragic, but then I leave it, a lot of the things I write, I like to leave, even though it's like, you're like, oh my God, where is this going? This is so scary and dark and ah, <laughs> but then I like to leave it on a, on, I like to put some light, some positivity, some you know, yes, like us, we are, we have shadow aspects, we have light, we have the masculine part of us, we have the feminine part of us. There's tragedy, but there's great joy. There's, you know, death, which is inevitable. But there's also birth. And for me, you know, those balances, they're everywhere. And that gives me hope because there is balance, there is good. There is, um, but again, like I said, when you have more people in the collective going one way and others, you know, you get out, out of balance. And I hope that my books can, and my stories can scare the pants off of you first <laughs> and also give you, make you feel good and give you something back and, um, if I've done that, then I, I know I'm doing a good job. Yeah. And there are different levels of this. Obviously, there's like, you know, horror, there's suspense, there's thriller, there's ghost stories. What scared you as a kid? La Llorona. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. Um, no, uh, what scared me? Yeah. You know, what was in the dark? For a while, I was really scared of the dark. 
I'm still scared of the dark. Yeah. Yeah. I am less scared of the dark now since I've write horror. Oh, that's interesting. I'm more accepting of the dark. I'm more accepting of fate and death. I'm more accepting of, even though it irks me sometimes, the unknown. I try to embrace it and surrender to it more. And, but as a kid, I was really scared of being, of, of being poor. I didn't like it. You know, who does? But, you know, afraid for my mom when she had to buy food. You know, living with my grandfather, which thankfully we had a place to live, but, oh, so we're going to always live with people? You know, at least we had a roof over our head. But not, you know, having your own room for a while as a kid. Yeah. Sleeping with, you know, in other rooms with other people, then eventually sleeping on a mattress on a floor. Those are scary. Not knowing how you're going to escape out of that, thinking that's your reality. When you see on TV or other friends that they don't live like that necessarily, but you do. Being a kid, it's like, well, what did I, what did I ever do? And so, yeah, that's, that was scary. And then, uh, you know, I live my life and that's what kind of kicked off. No, I've got to do this and I have to achieve that. And I have to, have to, have to, have to, have to. And now what scares me is, you know, my kids being unhappy. And I don't mean like, oh, I don't like dinner. I'm <laughs> But being truly unhappy in their soul. And, you know, what, what kind of world they're going to be left with. Um, yeah. I find that terrifying. It's, yeah. it's, it's, to be honest, it's one of the reasons I never had kids was because I was like, we're fucking everything up. I mean, come on. But this next generation might have the solutions. They mm-hmm. seem to be more aware. And yet you can, they're, they're being like told to sit down. Like, like you're just a teenager. What do you know? Um, whether it's gun violence in the schools or the planet or whatever, it's like, it's like, how can you tell this child who just, you know, 10, 12 of their classmates just died? How could you tell them that there's no problem? That like, you know, get over it or the worst, you know, people who are out there and have large audiences saying it didn't even happen. That's so sad and scary. It I mean, is. You know, one theme in my books as well I like to impress is that, upon people is that it's okay not to have children. It's okay to be childless. It's okay to choose and say, I don't want children. In fact, it's probably better for some people to say, to say I don't that. want yeah. children. It's not my thing. You know, because I, you know, I've always told people, if you think you're on the fence 50-50 of having a child, that means you should not do it. Because it is so, it is one of the most difficult things you will do unless you don't give a fuck and then you're going to fuck up that, that soul, that person. Exactly. And so I say to people, hey, if you know that you don't want to, do not do it out of, out of um, obligation. Do not do it because it's expected, because of any other reason, but you feel so strongly in your heart to do it. Because it is an absolute labor of love. You've got to be in that point of love 
And that's what scared me, you know, and it's in Alejandra is she went, she was pushed to the point of where she didn't want to live, but her love for her kids, even though she just wanted to push them away, it's what got her help in the end and make certain sacrifices. How do you feel? I don't know. your, anything about your children, but in Alejandra's case, she has daughters in the sun. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, because of this curse in particular, she's worried about, most worried about her oldest daughter. But at the same time, you know, the villain has no qualms about scaring the son either. And, you know, her son will, I mean, kids at a different age, they, you can try to tell them, know that spooky thing you saw in the corner isn't really there. Meanwhile, she's going, it's there. I saw it, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> um, uh, this, the whole like gender role nonsense of boys can't be scared. Boys gotta, um, you know, they can't cry. They can't show vulnerability. And it, it's, I know there's, some people out there finally breaking through that. Yep. And, you know, we have a long way to go. <laughs> I mean, Absolutely. as a culture. <laughs> and, and talking about it is part of it, you know, allowing people to say, you know, I'm struggling. And yeah, she, you know, she's worried about her, her older daughter, but she's worried for all of them because she knows this thing is, is, is attacking all of them. And um, so I, I had to show that, that it's, her family, it wants to destroy all of them bit by bit by bit. And it knows it can destroy her through her children, all of them. Yes, even here. even possible future children as as we get go through and, and come to this yeah. climactic moment. It's, you know, it's even like, well, I'm just going to take it all. And what what's interesting about this villain character is... That at first it was able to live on sadness and evil and depression, but then it tasted a mother's tears. Yeah. And the description is unbelievable of how how you make it like, it it sounds like like heroin. I mean, it sounds like, you know, Mm -hmm. it, it was the most satiating taste for this demon that. Um, that's when it decided, oh, I can, I can survive best. Yeah. Fueled by mothers and daughters and their depressions. I, and that's exactly right. You know, that it ate people's depression, those, that darkness that it wanted to feed it and make them feel it more and amplify that negative energy and attack by attacking one of my absolute favorite book quotes is from Dune. It's called Fear is the Mind Killer. And to me, that is so true. Fear is the mind killer. And I've read Dune quite a few times and I absolutely love it. But that quote always stuck with me. Yeah, that's a great quote. And it, if you've ever been in the position where you got to be afraid of everything, I've been there. Um, like I was... I mean, it was just a bad scene. Couldn't leave the house. I was like, yeah, oh no. It was like, yeah, it's like a bad thing. And and when you get out of that, it's hard to 
completely remember it as not being another person. Mm. I'm like, you know, and luckily, I mean, I, you know, hey, like I said, I'll try everything. I adopted a cat who, mm-hmm. um, he was a real go-getter and loves to go exploring. And we would just go and spend time in the woods. And, nice. You know, and I'm like, this, this cat is like freaking amazing. And, you know, it's like, sometimes that's what it takes. Uh, you have your familiar. <laughs> I sure do. Oh, he's. And he's black. <laughs> yeah, he's a black cat. Um, he's actually um, very specifically uh, the Scottish cats, the cat she, um, like banshee, but cat she, mm-hmm. um, a fairy cat. They have white patches on their chest, and that's he has a. It's very small, but you can see a white patch on his chest and white Aww. patch on his belly. So. When I learned that, I was like, oh, you are a fairy cat. Oh. A fairy. <laughs> Have you, has this book won like awards already, uh, already or was that a different book? Um, no. So uh, for this book, the award season will be next year. So next year. Okay. Yes. So uh, the, Ala, the Haunting of Alejandra is available for all awards consideration. That's all I can say. So, you know, if you're part of the part of the HWA or wherever, you know, you can abs or any other organization, you can absolutely nominate the Haunting of Alejandra for as much as you would like. <laughs> uh, no, it was Goddess of Filth and the Queen Cicadas that were both nominated for Bram Stoker Awards. That's fantastic. That's just absolutely wonderful news. Um well, good I lost luck. <laughs> I lost <laughs> <it>. <laughs> Yeah, but still, out of how many books come out yeah. a year, yeah. it's unbelievable. Um, you know, you could say Stoker nominated is <laughs> absolutely fantastic. Um, and lots of rave reviews in the press. Yeah, that's for sure. I'm very, very grateful. Cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I follow you on Instagram. I love your Instagram. Oh, thank uh, you. <laughs> um, your website is vcastrostories.com. Yeah. So that's where you can uh, actually see um, summaries of all the different books. And what are you working on now? Yeah, so a few things. So the UK release, paperback release of The Haunting of Alejandra comes out actually in October 17th. Um, I'm working on very shortly, I'll have a little short slasher for the readers um, that you can you read. So I'm going to put that out in the next few weeks just as something fun for Halloween. Um, but the big things uh, in April, uh, Immortal Pleasures comes out. Mm. So if you are an Anne Rice fan... If you are a Fifty Shades of Grey fan, <laughs> if you're a Twilight fan, then this one's for you. So it is different in the sense that it is lots of, it's it's very rated 18 plus. <laughs> it's got the romance, um, but it's based on the historical character uh, we know as La Malinche or Malinali, who was Cortez's. Hernan Cortez's translator during the conquest. And so I show her journey from her, you know, the beginning until modern times where she is a vampire. And 
you know, she's, you know, you think of Fifty Shades of Grey where, you know, the guy is kind of this wealthy um, kind of playboy. Well, we've got this really gorgeous woman (laughs) that we meet in Ireland, actually. So the book takes place in predominantly Ireland, London, and Mexico. So it's pretty fun. Uh, That can be pre-ordered now. Um, You know, just follow me on, God, how many social medias are there? Literally Twitter, threads, TikTok, Blue Sky, Instagram, (laughs) and you'll get all the updates. But yeah, I'm just like bits and pieces here and there. So those are the big things um, that people can look forward to. That's awesome. And what are you enjoying? Um, what are you personally like digesting from other people that you're loving these days? TV, books, whatever. Oh, yeah. So as far as books, because I, um, I'm reading a curandera that I love. Her name's Erica Buenaflor. And she wrote, I read all her books, but the one I'm reading now is about the veneration rights of ancestors. So contact, you know, having the energy of your ancestors and tapping into their power and meditation. And I've read all of her stuff. I love it. Um, so it's nonfiction. And then I finished a book about Santa Muerte because um, she, I am a Fascinated devo- by that. Yeah, well, I'm a devotee. So I have like my altar and all my stuff for her. Um, and I like putting her in books. And then Todd Kiesling's I had finished, I'm almost finished with that, his short story collection, which is really good. Um, It's like Dark Infinite Cold. It just came out like two days ago. It's really good. Um, And he's such a nice guy. So quite a few things here and there. I always flip between books because I'll get things to blurb and then I have my own. I typically read a lot of nonfiction books. So. Yeah, I I know. I kind of, there's always like... three books and some comics that I'm, you know, I'm in the middle of all the same time. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, you know, uh, I don't seem to stick to just one thing either. Um, even though I love, I love mysteries. And even though this was a horror book to me, there was a definite mystery involved. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. And, and then, then you know reading stuff about death and murder and bodies and whatever (laughs) (laughs) and then I'll read something about yoga and you know there you go everything's a balance (laughs) it is it's like oh I'm you know all these um you know meditations and you know the reasons behind neuroscience of of yoga and you know love it um great so is there um let's let me just ask you are there any charities that you'd like to bring attention to it's i mean you know 2023 there's a ton of people in need um and animals so i don't know if there's anything that you are particularly um you know fond of that you wanted to yeah there's actually any honestly any charity that benefits uh, migrants at the border Okay. So um, for me, uh, there's quite a few. Re- I Before the or during the pandemic, I did push to donate because there were, I mean, there are a lot of people that were displaced. Yeah, they, there was just, I know there were like holds on rent and evictions and stuff, but even when they were allowed to 
put back in place like rent raises increases and stuff like that people were just like so far behind it it's devastating yeah, absolutely anything that helps migrants that are being locked at the border especially children you know to get health care um a big one planned parenthood yes thank you <laughs> everyone please donate to planned parenthood yeah. it goes well with alejandra okay for sure definitely Planned Parenthood, please do, because for me, those the, those rights cannot be eroded. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, yeah, and the uh, local one here, every time I go to work at uh, one of the places I, I work, I go, they're right on Main Street there and the protesters are there. I mean, there's only like a handful. I mean, it's a tiny town and they're still like every Thursday. I mean, not mm-hmm. Thursday, every Wednesday, they're out there. And they changed their times because they used to be there at 12 when I would go in to teach my class. And now they've shifted so that they're there when kids come out of school. Terrible. And it's like, you're so freaking, I mean, you're transparently devious, Mm -hmm. you know. (laughs) The Texas charity is called RACES, R-A-I-C-E-S. So either RACES or... Uh, Planned Parenthood, especially Planned Parenthood, I feel like. So yeah. those two. <laughs> That's fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, well, good luck with award season. Thank and, you. Um, so again, you can find just search for V Castro on yep. the different socials. Hopefully you find her. I'm on all of them. <laughs> on all of them. <laughs> um, that's great. So any other Final thoughts? No, just again, thank you to everyone who has tuned into this. Join the Patreon. Everyone who's picked up a book, left a review, um, shared on social media. It all matters. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, pick up a book. Keeps me writing. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Um, And for reminders, you can go to my Patreon, patreon.com slash Amber Unmasked. And the cats have their own website now. If you have not seen, go to catdetectivecases.com and you can read their weekly adventures. Um, This week's was very fun to put together. and sometimes we find supernatural creatures and investigate those. Um, and then sometimes it might just be, you know, a local chipmunk or something. So <laughs> the, there's always something to investigate here. And uh, Gus and Ollie absolutely love to think that they are, you know, worshipped. Of course, they're cats. They want to be worshipped. <laughs> Um, well, thanks so much to um, my guest today, V Castro. Don't forget vcastrostories.com. Um, and we'll see you next time. Bye.